So as we head into the new year, today's message is first pray. Should be pretty easy to remember. Can you say that with me? First pray. What are you supposed to do first? Pray. Okay. First pray. Hear, answer, and know Jesus. This is resolution number one for any Christian. If you're going to be a Christian if you're going to follow Jesus. Resolution number one. People are going to ask you, what are your New Year's resolutions? Here's what you tell them. And by the way, a great bridge into witnessing to people about what really being with Jesus means and what following him means. You say, my resolution number one is to do what? Pray. All right. First, pray with Jesus. And you can tell them, I, I want to pray with Jesus. I want, well, who's Jesus? How do you know Jesus? <laughs> Let me tell you about Jesus. First, pray with Jesus. How should I start each day? It's a big question. What's the answer? Pray. Um, what about when I don't know what to do or what to say? What should I do? Pray. Pray first, okay? Uh, let me talk about prayer today as we head into the new year. We're going to be returning to this theme of prayer as we move through the next few chapters of Luke in the early part of 2024. So we'll kind of equip you more on this, but let's go ahead and introduce this concept of prayer. And I want to begin with some negatives, unfortunately. What prayer is not. Prayer is not. Common to, uh, in conflict with common misconceptions, prayer is not a checklist duty. Well, I got my prayers in. This is not what we're talking about. Um, it's not a technique or a device for me to manipulate God. Let me repeat that. Prayer is not a device or technique that I need to learn better so that I can boss God around more. That is not your agenda here. They don't go that way. I know a lot of people think of prayer that way. Prayer is not a means to an end. I'm going to shock you with this. Prayer is not a means to an end. Prayer is at the heart and center of the end itself. Okay? <laughs> The point is to be in a living relationship with God, to glorify and enjoy God forever. And what's heart central to glorifying God and enjoying him forever? Praying, right? Uh, that's why prayer is not a rote ritual. Again, contrary to the way a lot of church people and a lot of church traditions treat prayer. And prayer is not a sudden emergency call that we dial up to an operator we don't really know when we're in trouble. You know how you can call 911 and you're suddenly talking to somebody you don't know from Adam? You know that? This is not what prayer is supposed to be like. Well, God, I know I haven't talked to you, but man, I'm in bad shape right now. I need help. That's not what prayer is. It's not a sudden emergency call to an operator you don't know. Also, this is from Robert Mulhall, and I think Prayer is not worrying in the general direction of God. I know a lot of church people do that. I know a lot of people do that. But prayer is not my worrying and sending my worries out in the general vague direction of God. If you can hear me, I'm really worried about this. My husband's sick. I may lose my job. I don't know what's wrong with my child physically or in their marriage. 
Prayer is not worrying in the vague general direction of God. And 21st century American Christians definitely need to understand this. Frankly, Americans for our whole history of our country need to understand this. Prayer is not a transaction. It's not a transaction. If I do this, I get this. God, I gave you this. I gave you my prayer. So come on, bring it out. Like I put the money in the vending machine. Give it out to me. Prayer is not a transaction. Prayer is a relationship. Got to get this. Not a transaction. A relationship. It's at the heart of living in a relationship with God. Let me pause before I go on with this. Let me tell you this, in pastoral counseling, in just talking to people, if I'm dealing with a married couple or a marriage, I can say, what do you talk about with your wife? What do you talk about with your husband? And if all they can tell me is some things out there, well, we're managing our children and we don't know what to do with our teenager and there's some finance things that we've gotten into an argument with lately. I'm saying, okay, you're, you're not really in a partnership that is bridging into a union. You're in a joint venture to raise some kids and work some finances. You're not partners, much less united the way Christian marriage is supposed to be. Could we expand your conversation? Could you actually be husband and wife as one together? instead of dealing with some transactional issues. I'm telling you, if I'm talking to a couple and all they deal with are transactional issues, I know there's not a real deep relationship there. And if parents tell me that about their relationship with their children, same way, you need to get these grades, you need to do this or that. Okay, I get all that, there's nothing wrong with that. But are we in a transaction or a living deep relationship? Okay, back to God. That's what he's calling us into. In prayer, we're called to do the greatest thing anybody on earth could possibly ever imagine. Enter into communion with the living almighty God. What's the most important thing you could possibly do in your entire life on earth? Pray, if you're truly in prayer, if you're in communion with the living God, in the communion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any bigger than that. But wait a minute, I want to go to a bowl game. <laughs> Give me a break. You are invited into, but I need to watch the cable news network where that guy spouts off about stuff that I get angry about. Yeah, maybe decide not to and actually spend time in the living communion of God Almighty. This is prayer. Dallas Willard says, the more we pray, the more we think to pray. It builds on itself. And as we see the results of prayer, the responses of our Father to our request, our confidence in God's power spills over into other areas of our lives. So I don't go to God for a transaction to fix my marriage or to fix my kids, but you know what? The more I seek the kingdom first, he's gonna give me these other things. Okay, what's my agenda in prayer? My agenda is to be with God. And as I'm with God, he empowers me to bring healing, his healing into my marriage, to bring grace 
into my parenting. To bring, I mean, he just does, he does it. Now, today we're going to talk about this fact that I want to pause and highlight for us about Luke's gospel, because we're working our way through Luke's gospel. You don't want to miss this. This is really, I guess, Bible, maybe 201, not 101, but 201. So I want to highlight it for you. Luke, the third gospel. Luke highlights where other gospels do not, at least, you don't really need to know this, but I'm going to give this to you. You may be able to fill in the blank if you really know your Bible. How many times Jesus first prayed when Matthew and Mark aren't telling you about it? How many times? Can you fill in the blank? You know the Bible number, right? One of the most popular Bible. Okay, seven. Just so happens it's seven times. I, I guess that's with meaning from Luke. Luke highlights where other Gospels do not, where Matthew and Mark do not. Seven times when Jesus first prayed, also in some crossover with John's Gospel, same thing. Seven times Luke gives you Jesus praying when the others don't highlight it. Before major turning points in the revelation of who Jesus is, like at his baptism, like at the transfiguration, like when he asked his disciples, and in connection with his advance to the next stages of his saving mission. You're really supposed to catch this. Luke really wants you to notice this. God inspired Luke to highlight this for you. So let's look at this. Here are the seven. I'll take you back through this again. His baptism, when his fame increased, in his Galilean ministry, in other words, before choosing the twelve. Here, before asking his disciples who they think he is. Fifth, before the transfiguration. Sixth, before teaching his disciples how to pray. And seventh, at the very beginning of his crucifixion, the third hour, and by the way, at the close of the crucifixion, as he prepares to go into death in the ninth hour, Luke highlights prayers that nobody else has. So, in his baptism, we heard it from the opening scripture, right? When did heaven open up and the Holy Spirit come down on him like a dove? When? When he was praying in the midst of his baptism. Number two, when his fame increased. Luke has several of these, but in chapter 5, verse 16, he highlights that what is Jesus doing when he goes off to these desolate places and the, and the disciples have to come try to chase him down and say, hey, the people want to see you, Jesus. Why are you up here on this mountain or why are you off in this desolate place? Well, in 5.16, we get it. But he would withdraw to desolate places and do what? What would Jesus do? Pray. But he's really worn out. He's been healing people all day. Yeah, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Do you have desolate places that you go to pray? And, and by the way, let me just highlight this. I left my little digital rectangular box down here. Um, one way you may, in the 21st century, at least get in the direction of desolate places is turn this thing off for 30 minutes. But I'll miss some of my notices from people. And what if somebody texts me? Yeah, exactly. Go to a desolate place to pray. Or as Jesus says, you may need to go into a closet without your smartphone with you. Right? Uh, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Number three, before choosing the twelve, Luke 6, 12 and 13. Now, it came to pass in those days, he went out to the mountain to do what? To pray. Again, this is only in Luke. Matthew and Mark are not telling you that. He went to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in what? 
prayer, randomly in prayer, worrying in the general direction of God. No, he was praying with God. Was the Father physically on earth? No. But was Jesus with God the whole night in prayer? Yes. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Four, we've already got it here in our central passage for today before asking his disciples, well, who do you think I am? He prays first. Why is he praying? Does Jesus need to know who he is? No. He's praying for them. Did you know But right now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for you, Christian? Isn't that awesome? Fifth, before the transfiguration, having taken Peter and John and James, he went up to the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and suddenly Moses and Elijah are there, and you get the rest of the story. We'll come back to that. While he was praying, and he takes the trio with him, a precursor to Gethsemane, when he takes them with him to do what? Pray. Uh, sixth, before teaching his disciples how to pray, Luke 11.1, 1. and it came to pass that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished praying, in other words, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. We will get into that this year, how Jesus teaches us to pray further. And then seventh, at the very beginning of his crucifixion, the third hour, his prayer for forgiveness for those crucifying him, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. That's Luke. That's Luke. Luke is telling you as Jesus enters into his process of dying on the cross to atone for your sins, he prays, he prays first, and he prays for grace and mercy for those who are crucifying him. You, you, really, not, you really don't want to miss that in Luke. And then, again, now, yes, I know Matthew and, and, and Mark have, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, from Psalm 22 in the middle, but what happens at the end? Yes, we get the declarations. It is finished, John, right? He breathes his last. But what does Luke give us? 23, verse 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see him praying, talking to the Father at the beginning and at the close of the crucifixion. Luke gives that to you. Luke really does not want you to miss that. God who inspired Luke does not want you to miss this. Jesus is a man who prays. He's on fire to pray to be in living communion with his Father. We, if we are to follow Jesus, are also to be like Jesus. Now, on the other hand, I'll tell you this, Luke omits, no, no joke, I mean, this is just the number, seven episodes involving Jesus' ministry that Mark gives us after the feeding of the 5,000 plus, before this question about who Jesus is. Um, you go back to Mark chapter 6, verse 45, all the way through Mark 8, 26, it's absent from Luke. Luke really wants to compress and bring us forward to this central issue of who Jesus is. I'll talk more about that next Sunday. But Luke also omits, again next Sunday too, I'll mention this, a number of geographical references. And it's really noticeable when Jesus takes them off to say, who do you say I am? Because Matthew and Mark really want us to know geographically, we're talking about the region of Caesarea Philippi, what we would call the Golan Heights. It's up near Syria, it's Gentile territory. Luke, Luke omits that because Luke is giving you a spiritual geography, not a physical geography. 
and he really wants you to focus on the prayer life. And he's moving you into this story. He's zooming in on this spiritual geography, what it means to be a Christian. So what does it mean? Well, let's take a look at our central passage. Number one, I've got four of these for you, okay? Pray with Jesus. Pray with Jesus. It's in your sermon notes. You can track along and write these down. Fill in your own comments on this. While he was praying in private, it almost sounds like, well, Luke didn't write this correctly. He's in private, but he also has with him, right, his disciples. So sometimes when we go to desolate places, we're supposed to take people we care about with us. Parent, father, mother, do you go to a desolate place and take your child with you? Off of the digital stuff, off of the other distractions, are you taking them with you for private prayer time? This is key, right? Okay, so we're supposed to pray with Jesus. Should it be Martin's prayers? No, it should be Martin praying as guided by Jesus, my master and Lord. Okay? Uh, Also, hear Jesus. Hear him. This is the primary command for Christians, according to God the Father. What does he say? What is he going to command at the transfiguration? We'll come back to this, but notice this. He says, hear him. That's what it says. Your job is to listen to my son and understand in the Bible, to hear means not only to listen, it means to heed and obey. You know when a parent, by the way, says, listen to me, does that just mean I want you to get some data? No, that means I am giving you directions. Now you pay attention. That's what the Father says to us about Jesus. It's a primary mark of Christians. Notice this. When Jesus describes who the elect are, who the saved are, he talks in John's gospel in terms of being the good shepherd, right? And he says this. The sheep hear his voice. What do the sheep do? Hear his voice. How do you know if you are a Christian? You hear Jesus. How do you know if you're not yet saved? You don't hear Jesus, right? Uh, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Notice this. He knows you individually, okay? He knows you as a group, and he knows you individually. He calls your name. You hear him calling your name. You hear him talking to you, right? And leads them out. Now, when he's brought out all his own, he, the shepherd, goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. The stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. According to 1 John chapter 4, we're looking at this in Revelation, the Antichrist was already in the world in the first centuries and in in the world right now. How can a Christian tell the difference between somebody who's really attractive and maybe talks about the same things that we seem to talk about as Christians and Jesus? Well, you know the difference. You know the difference of the voices. You know the difference because his word is different than the slight tweaks in another direction. Verse 10, 16, notice this. This is John 10, 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will do what? They also will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now back to Luke 9. Listen to him. Listen to the questions he's asking you. 
Remember God? What's the first question in the Bible? Adam and Eve has sinned. God comes to the garden and says what? Where are you? Now back to my geography versus spiritual. Does God need to know physically where they are? No. God is asking spiritually where are you? What has happened? Do you need to talk to me? Do you need to repent? Do we need to reconnect? Because you've got a problem. Where are you? God asked. That's Genesis 3, verse 9. Jesus constantly is asking people, what do you want? Are you hearing him ask you these questions when you pray? And if you tell me, no, my praying is basically, I've got a laundry list that I kind of shoot up to him in one minute and then I'm busy. You're not praying. You need, who's the most important person in prayer, you or God? God. So I would suggest you listen more than you talk at him, okay? Listen to him. But I don't hear anything. You're not with him in prayer yet. As you open yourself, you will start hearing. Otherwise, you're not in the Holy Spirit yet, and you and I really need to pray about where you are in your faith. What do you want? Do you want to be healed, John chapter 5, verse 6? Do you want to be healed, Jesus asked. The Shema, the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, heed, obey his word. Understand it, keep it. Hear and keep his commands. Uh, in Sunday school right now, this morning, we're looking at a central passage of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10, picking up at verse uh, 12. And what are we supposed to do when we're called to circumcise our heart? We're supposed to, yes, of course, walk, fear the Lord, walk with the Lord, love the Lord, but then also the final two commands, you know it, Deuteronomy 10, right? Just like Genesis 2. Serve and keep the word of the Lord. Serve and keep the word of the Lord. That's what a real prayer life means. Now, if you say, I need to connect with what he has to say, can you help me in the new year? Yes. If you're not already clicked into our website, if it's not already in the face of your smartphone, you need to put our website there. And you need to go to, let's go to, yep, there it is. I just took a picture, and there it is. Our Bible reading plans. You can track with this. If you're not sophisticated as far as, you know, kind of using that smartphone, just ask me, ask our office. We will print off a copy of one of the reading lists for you. You know I recommend at least doing the three psalms every day, excuse me, every week per the reading plan. Do at least the three psalms. If you read the psalms and learn to pray through the psalms, you'll learn how to pray. And you'll also learn to hear his voice more. So hear Jesus. Who do you say I am, Jesus asked. And then I'll come back to this, but Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them when they say the Christ. What's going on there? He's got to reorient them to who the Christ is. Come back to that again. But the term there, the verb there, every other time, every other 11 times it's used, of the total of 12 in Luke, it's always rebuke. He rebukes the storm. He rebukes the waves. Here he's calling them to pay attention. If you are really in prayer with Jesus, there are going to be times when he says, no, 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 you're getting this wrong. Wake up. Pay attention to me. It's going to happen. Answer Jesus. Answer what he's asking you about. And then listen as he teaches you further. Look, 
I know you, this is a revelation, this is wonderful, it's the first time you as my disciples have declared me to be the Christ, but you don't understand what you're saying. The Son of Man is going to be necessary for me as the Christ and as the Son of Man to suffer and to die for your sin. I, I need you to get this. I need you to stay with me in prayer here. I need you to understand the big picture, Jesus says. And then finally, know Jesus. All of this is circling back around to you knowing Jesus in a living relationship, in a loving relationship. Again, back over to John, verses, excuse me, chapters 14 and 15, Jesus talks about the fact that if you obey my word, if you obey my word, if you know my word and obey it, if you keep my word, you will ask whatever God lays on your heart in my name, and you will receive it. But you see, this is all this process of prayer we're talking about. It's simple, but it's big. Come to Jesus, take this home, and enter the new year growing in prayer, growing in Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon from First Presbyterian Church in Starkville, Mississippi. If you want to find out more about our church and our ministries, please visit fpcstarkville.org. If you'd like someone to reach out to you and uh, maybe grab coffee or lunch to get to know us a little bit better, you can go to fpcstarkville.org connect and fill out the form there. And if you like what you're doing and want to see more, uh, go to fpcstarkville.org give to give.